Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. My love for you is immeasurable. My respect for you demands. Good morning, everyone. This is Michelle Hughes from Ageless and Timeless. Today, I want to give a little bit of information about our sponsor before we start our podcast. Uh, I think I've told you, um, you've seen many, many of my podcasts in the past that uh, feature water and wellness. Uh, I've been taking water and wellness uh, products for at least uh, t- five years now. And I can tell you firsthand that they are the best products on the market. So please look at their website and you can contact Stacy at 877-296-6880. The most efficacious products I've used, just to give you a little bit of a heads up, um, are both water and wellness products, the Quinton and the H2O, and you can put the H2O tablet in your water so it gives you an extra extra minerals. And the Quinton, of course, is sea algae, so you know we're we're getting the the benefits of all the minerals from the sea. Uh, but also they carry uh, um, Quicksilver Scientific, and Quicksilver, if you look at their website, has huge number of. Um, products that are in a a nano delivery system, so they go right into your bloodstream. So on Quicksilver, I use their liquid uh, glutathione, which of course you know glutathione is a master um, wellness uh, for the liver, and uh, you can use that under the tongue, sublingual. I also use their NAD product, which we'll talk about today because our guest today is a specialist and an expert in pain management. So with that um, information, introduction, I'd like to introduce you to our guest today. His name is Dr. Michael Hebron, and he is the pain management expert in the Bay Area, but you can talk to him on uh, any um, remote network first. Uh, if you need to, if you're not local to San Francisco. So, Michael, good morning. I hope you're doing well today, and I'd just like to uh, say a couple of words about you before we let you launch into your uh, description of who you are and what you do. Uh, so, so Dr. Michael and I met through a mutual friend, and immediately I knew that this was somebody I needed to continue to uh, be, be close to, and not because of pain, but more because of the human connection. And you know, when you have chemistry with somebody, you know that's a precious gift, and you know that you want to keep that person very, very close to you as a, as a friend. So that's where Michael and I, uh, in the last month or so, became a acquainted. Of course, you know, my feeling about pain is that, uh, and, I, and I did look at the statistics of who has pain in the, in, the, in the United States, and the CDC says 50 million, but I understand from reading Tony Robbins' book called Life Force, the new book he just put out, that it's actually 20%. Michael says it's still an unknown number, uh, but let's say 60, at least 60 million people have chronic pain. That's chronic pain. Then there's a lot of pain that's unreal reported. Uh, so let's let's just talk about this as something that's, that's almost universal. I don't know many people that haven't had pain at some point in their lives. So this is a very important, compelling subject for us today. And Michael's going to give us some help in how to deal with that. So with that introduction, Michael, please take over and tell us how did you get to where you are today in the pain management world? Well, um, great. Thank you for the introduction. And first of all, thank you for having me on. You're so welcome, Michael. It's an honor to be here. And I was just waiting all night long to get here. <laughs> well, so, I hope you got sleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. Thank, thank you. Okay, well, thank you. So <clears throat> the interesting topic here about pain takes me back to my earlier beginnings. And to that extent, as a childhood athlete, I, I was very physical. And uh, I experienced a career-ending 
injury to my knee when it snapped the ligament in, in my knee playing high school football. And since the time I was 17, I've dealt with pain. And, and that had inspired me to figure out ways to not only get rid of the pain, but to, to live with it so I can get back to playing sports. Well, um, I met an orthopedic surgeon who uh, at the time said he wouldn't operate on me. He was Dr. Michael Charles. And uh, he inspired me to help other people who were injured. So I developed a passion and it woke up this calling uh, to help people in pain. By the way, I never went back to playing football, and I discovered a career in medicine, and to that extent, um, I'm just giving back in that way. That's beautiful, Michael. So you, I know you um, went to Creighton University for your medical uh, degree, correct? And, and, or you, you actually got your biological. You, you were uh, interesting psychology, which I think is really a very important part of your background because so much of what you're doing when you meet people has a psychological, and we'll get into that in a, in a bit, but um, has a psychological component. So, but you had a, a double major, right? Psychology and biology yes, at Creighton. And then you went on to Stanford and did your residency at Stanford. So uh, when you first got in, you've been in practice for 22 years. So when you first got into practice, how were you different than what you are today, 22 years later? <laughs> well, uh, 22 years later, I've learned to listen more effectively. Uh, at first, I was so concentrated on the science that I've learned through my training at Stanford. Um, over the years, my ear became more fine-tuned to listen to people mm -hmm. and to understand that pain has a personal character to it. And with that understanding, I was able to apply my science individually to people who were suffering pain in very different ways. Well, so let's do a hypothetical, okay? So if, if I'm your patient and I come into your office and I tell you, you know, my symptoms, uh, what's your, what is your protocol? How would you handle me? Well, the protocol comes through the screening process. First of all, um, understanding who these people are and who you are as an individual before your injury or your condition and to see the impact and understand your impact uh, of the injury and how it has affected your life day to day. This helps me to understand your goals and therefore set appropriate expectations to be able to live a more fulfilling life. So it's listening to who the person is, who they were before the injury and coming up with a realistic approach to maximizing their ability to function. You know, that's, that's why I mentioned the psychology part, because it seems to me we're talking about the brain and the uh, body connection. And so the brain meaning the mental attitude and the ability to um, find solutions. So it seems to me that when you're doing, dealing with pain, you're, you know, the, the more advanced approach that you're discussing is to look beyond the symptoms to the cause. And this is really where medicine should be today, but unfortunately we fall short of that with most of the uh, allopathic approaches that, that just treat symptoms and give you a, a, a drug. But let's not get into that. But, uh, but if you could just say, how do you penetrate a person's emotional uh, posture when they enter your office? Because they're obviously pain is debilitating. And it does make people have a very different uh, attitude and mental attitude. So how do you penetrate that and get to the point where you can really help somebody because you now have the brain and the, and the, and the body uh, in sync in order to move forward to, to find the solutions? Well, that's a great question. Um, the first thing you have to do, listen, is when you listen to people, you legitimize their complaint. And when everyone talks, we want to be listened to. Mm -hmm. And when you listen to people, you've already begun to start the process of healing because now you've accepted them as legitimate. Mm -hmm. Most people who come to doctors and having pain, the theory is, is that it's all in your head. Well, a lot of it is and most of it is, and therefore it's legitimate because you can't separate your head from the rest of your body, mm -hmm. right? So listening. And then when I listen to them, I'm able to engage the connection and be able to figure out who they are and what their expectations are. And more importantly, how the pain has affected their life in a way that 
It's brought them to my office. So it's the initial connection that allows the healing process to come, first by listening. So what, what uh, in that listening, what kinds of questions do you ask people to better understand how to deal with the, um, the suggestions and the, obviously the, the solutions for, um, for cure? Well, first, we always want to know from the patient their understanding of how, if they can articulate it or make it clear, how did everything start for them? Because our introduction here was like, how did you get here? Dr. Hebert or Michael, how did you get here? Everyone has a story and people want to tell their story. And when they feel someone is listening to their story, you have a very captive audience. And then you get buy-in from them. And then when you hear their story, I ask them, what happened? They'll tell me. Sometimes they don't even know what happened. But we go through this quick journey of specific what happened and how has it affected your life. Sometimes we just get into how has it affected your life. And then we look at from the perspective of what have they tried that worked and didn't work. That's, that is so important, what you just said, that you, one, they feel you have an interest in them because so often uh, people go to a doctor and they have 15 minutes and they hardly scratch the surface, but you're actually taking time to understand who the person is. And this is something very refreshing. And I think people who are viewing today uh, will find that something that is unique in their experience. So, uh, so what are some of the uh, diagnostic uh, solutions that you usually can can address or you can usually apply to a, a, a typical pain management patient? Another great question. The first diagnostic tool is listening. You have to hear and listen to what the people are saying that's going on because that will direct you into your questions, number one. Number two, that will direct you on the hands-on examination. Sometimes I will talk with patients and speak with them specifically about their condition. And if I'm hearing that everything hurts, I'll be less quick to put my hands on to examine them because they're not in the place where they can receive hands-on physical manipulation of that injured body part. It's called guarding. So listening is the first diagnostic tool. That gives us the roadmap to proceed to further things. The second thing it would be to, to do the actual clinical examination. You have to put your hands on people. No offense to telemedicine or, or, or to Zoom healthcare, but for the work that I do, tissue, the physical body has an expression. If it's swollen, if it's hot, uh, if it's not moving, I can't get that in the virtual reality through the screen. So I have to put my hands on you. First, I have to listen to see if it's okay, and then do the examination. So what are the most common uh, areas of the body that are, are, um, have chronic pain? The back, low back. Lower back. The lower back is, mm -hmm. is right above the waistline or just right uh, above the tailbone. Mm -hmm. That's one of the areas over the last 20-some-odd years mm -hmm. that if I had to pick a source of people complain of the most, it's in the low back. Mm -hmm. And what about the neck? Well, that's second. Okay. okay. Uh, those are the areas that, unfortunately, as we begin to uh, mature and age, uh, that area of the spine begins to get stiffer quicker than anywhere else, mm -hmm. from the neck, uh, the chest, and the low back area. So the neck and the low back are the areas that uh, undergo much more flexion, extension, and rotation from daily life. So today's world, there's so much technology that um, has come into play with your your profession. So are there any um, cutting-edge technologies that you're using other than the hands-on management, which, of course, that's, the, that's kind of the, the foundation of pain management, is to use your, your body to understand their body. And obviously, inflammation is one of the, the big um, uh, enemies that you're you're fighting, right? Is, is, uh, so is there any, are there any uh, other modalities that, and protocols that you're using in your office to treat the chronic pain that would be to the next generation other than hands-on? Well, another excellent question, I may add. Mm -hmm. um, 
inflammation is an area that now we're beginning to have a, a better understanding on of at least acknowledging that it exists in the chronic pain process. So back up quickly, chronic pain is pain is usually defined that lasts longer than three to six months, okay? And with that process, there's a chemical reaction for the body experiencing pain, and it releases certain enzymes or chemicals, if you will, that are responsible for our physical expression of inflammation. Inflammation is uh, a term that goes back to the early days of the Greek, meaning fire or inflamed. Um, Sometimes it's noticeable. And when it's in your shoulder, your hip, your knee, or something like that, or sometimes it's not if it's in the intestines. And the critical question for us now is, what contributes to inflammation other than physical trauma? Diet. Mm-hmm. I love what you're talking about. This is so important. Is the oh, the whole inner interconnection of the body, the microbiome, the GI tract, that uh, a lot of doctors don't even ask those questions uh, about what you're eating and uh, how your diet is affecting your uh, body's reaction. So yeah, keep going. I love what you're saying. So again, we get back into the initial assessment um, of the patient's condition. You have to listen to what they've been going through. Oftentimes, they may be able to tell you a story of how it happened, and sometimes not. If they can't tell you a story about how it happens, then you begin to ask questions about diet. Processed fast foods are higher in sugars and salts, which she what? Are inflammatory. There you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. Right. Sorry and to <laughs> No, and that was a we're, fin- we're finishing each other's sentences. <laughs> yeah. They're easy so, to do when you have good absolutely. friendship. Absolutely. <laughs> and the, the critical issue is oftentimes we can solve a lot of our own problems because they're self inflicted, self inflicted by our dietary choices. Diet is a unfortunate burden to our existence. If we go through these fast food restaurants or eating things that are quick, salty, and I mean, just tasty, what we call tasty because our physiological makeup to taste things that are good are salty, sweet, fried, and crunchy. For some people that may say no, but for me it says yes, I love french fries. Mm but it's not the best thing for us. And anything that creates inflammation in the body, oh my God, it produces inflammation to the point where it adds to the chronic pain. And if the chronic pain wasn't there, it creates an environment for it to exist. Yeah, so the the acronym is SAD, right? The standard American diet, which is, you know, typically too many processed foods, too much salt, too much sugar. And all of these things cause inflammation. And so your, is your goal to try to help people to uh, get a better nutrition program? And, you know, what's your success rate in doing something like that where you're changing habits? Sometimes uh, older people are, the harder it is to change their lifestyle and their habits. So how do you address that? Well, I address that specifically is give yourself 30 days. 30 days to cut back on what you were doing. If you were drinking five sodas a day, cut back to three sodas a day. It's not an all or none fix right away. You have to ease them into a lifestyle change. It's a lifestyle change, which ultimately is a life of change. And when you do a life of change and you've been living somewhere for 30 to 40 years one way and you wake up one morning and says, I'm going to live another way, it doesn't work that way. So I ease them into a protocol of reduction. And based on a 30-day reduction, then they manifest results that they find motivating enough to keep going. So in the meantime, along with that, which, by the way, I think is an incredibly uh, important approach because you're not asking people to just go cold turkey when they have these habits. So you're asking them to just modify to begin with. And then when once they start seeing success or feel less pain, guess what? It's going to be a lot easier to apply the rest of the program to go to the other end of the spectrum to basically create a new a new diet. And, and, and we didn't, we talked about inflammation, but we really didn't get to detoxification, which, you know, most people running around today are, deto- are to- 
toxic, and toxic is an inevitable part of living in the modern world. So not only our diet, but our, our environment, uh, and by the way, our food is grown in soil that has uh, not been re uh, replenished with all the nutrients that our great-grandparents had. Um, so in fact, they, those, the soil has been devoid and it's then, you know, the water we drink is also uh, can be toxic based on uh, people who don't understand that they should drink purified water and not drink water out of the tap because it's full of other uh, dangerous uh, chemicals. So uh, that's a whole other area. But but you know, I'm just saying for you, you, you know, you have to take baby steps. It seems with your patients. Otherwise, they would just quit, because most people are not willing to just go cold, cold turkey. So I think what you're saying, Michael, is Dr. Michael, is that that is a very important approach. Is to just start with baby steps and then see if people will become uh, compliant because they feel success. So what, what about pharmaceutical drugs? How, how do you deal with the opioid? Let's just talk opioids for a moment. Uh, fentanyl and, and uh, oxycodone. And you know, these are drugs that are being prescribed like candy, and yet people get addicted. And we now know how many people have died from the you know, op opioid overdoses. So how, how do you address that issue? Because they are the best painkillers, let's face it. You know, if you want to re get rid of pain uh, quickly, you take an opioid, and that's what doctors are giving people, unfortunately. So what's your feeling about that? Well, you know, to be quite honest with you, there's a really complicated topic there, and I could spend maybe a whole... Podcast? <laughs> that, no, a lifetime explaining oh, a lifetime. that. Okay. Um, and it's a very humbling topic because I grew up in uh, Berkeley in Oakland, California, and... And unfortunately, both of my parents were drug addicts. Mm -hmm. And so I was witnessing, you know, drug abuse and painkillers at a very early age. So I, I adapted the attitude that if I saw it destroying them, it would destroy me. And I'm in this really funny situation as a pain doctor when patients come to me who are asking, if you will, and requesting and demanding uh, opioids. Um, and, and I have to be honest with you, uh, it's not for everybody, number one. Number two, some people it may be beneficial for, because I do prescribe them to some select, and for short periods of time for some, and some of them do better with it, but I have to analyze their ability to function with dressing, bathing, grooming, toileting, hygiene, we call activities of day living. Are they more functional with the medication? So I'm looking for function in opposed to reducing pain. And the myth about opioids, they're not painkillers. They just make you not care about the pain. Right. It tricks the brain and says, ah, you know, who cares about the pain? It's there, but so what? So again, uh, painkillers is not really <laughs> it's not really the accurate right name. A description That's of a good, opioids. Yeah, it, it's, it's just it's band-aid. Absolutely. It just yeah. dulls your senses mm -hmm. to caring about the pain. Yeah, mm -hmm. but then you don't care about anything else and you get addicted. Oh, you know? and that's an unfortunate situation that we have, okay? And uh, there is a large population uh, of people who are addicted to medications. If you say 60 million people who have chronic pain, uh, you say maybe... 5 million who are addicted. Well, 5 million compared to 60 million doesn't seem like a large percentage, but that's still 5 million people. Of course. Yeah. That's more than have died of COVID in the U.S., right? Yes. So there's an example. I mean, if 1 million have died of COVID and 5 million have died of opioid uh, overdose or, or have become addicted to it, they're still becoming uh, calamities or crises in the in the population because they have a, 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 a real problem that goes beyond the pain yeah so what what is the um, let's, let's talk about the technology uh, that I mentioned earlier in, in the discussion uh, what are some of the cutting-edge technologies that you're using today that you wouldn't have had let's say 22 years ago so because we you know we now have stem cells, we now have uh, telomeres, we now have d DNA management, we now have PEMF, we, you know, go, just go through some of the um, cutting edge approaches that you can take with patients that are more receptive to that, to using that as, as opposed to 
oxycodone, uh, you know, the traditional pharmaceutical approach? Well, uh, that's, again, you, you've been coming with really solid questions <laughs> Thank here. You. And, and, well, and, it's a subject that is, I think right. it's so important. I've been so excited, excuse me for the segue, but I have really been excited about us doing this podcast because I know this subject is is really important to more than 60 million people. I don't have viewers that are that many people yet, but maybe one day I will. But uh, the point is I know how important and relevant and compelling this subject is. So go ahead, Michael. I'm sorry I interrupted you. Well, the, the thing about these new discoveries in this area of pain management and living longer and healthier, you mentioned telomeres. Uh, that's a hot topic right now. And, and to understand telomeres is really to understand our genetic code. And to understand our genetic code gets into another level of science that ultimately, unfortunately, has not been unfolded or revealed to the masses. Mm -hmm. That's the 23andMe type uh, DNA. Well, uh, no, this is this is this is not a commercial thing. This oh. is one that actually deals with the science of longevity, uh -huh, which so which important. Which is one, as you mentioned is hammered and burdened by the inflammatory process that attacks the human vessel. And understanding how telomeres, the, the damage to them, will ultimately shorten your life is based on how we are living day to day. And one of the things that we found out is one, exercise. Another one is diet. Things have nothing to do with taking medications to dull the pain, or as you mentioned earlier, to kill the pain. What's killing the pain in terms of medication is actually killing us. You can take ibuprofen, Motrin, Advil, Aleve. They have the highest incidence of damage to the gastrointestinal system, creating ulcers which can lead to bleeds that can be life-threatening. Damage to the kidneys, and these are not opioids. Right. These are over the counter, which, uh, you know, yes. they say when they they created some of these over the counter uh, drugs of it to, to become more universally available, that they dropped the um, the numbers of people from the 60 million to a much lower number, like 11 million, because people were taking these these over the counters. But that's just an artificial Re reaction. So I think you're addressing something so important that taking it over the counter again, it's just a band-aid, and but it's doing damage. It has side effects. So here we go to the, you know, finding the cause instead of treating the symptoms. So I think you're addressing the very root of what w this whole podcast is about, which is let's not let's not be superficial here. Let's not, you know, and this is what you're all about. You're trying to help people to eliminate the pain through finding the root cause, correct? Well, yes, but the other thing is that I don't want to skirt the, the topic of technology. Right? Yeah, and that's what we're really I don't want to do that, but I also want to give some credence to what? Old-fashioned lifestyle changes, mm -hmm. all right? We're looking for science to cure things where we can actually go back to what we fundamentally know, you know, organically grown food, right? Eliminating the processed diet, things that affect the telomeres, things that affect our genetic code. Some things that we're going to be susceptible to, we're learning through the genetic code. There's a, a book I don't want to plug, but it's called Code Breakers, right? Uh, Walter Isaacson has written his, written his book uh, regarding uh, one of our, our local uh, uh, top uh, scientists working at UC Berkeley. Um, it talks about CRISPR, understanding how over the years, going back millions of years, how bacteria have, have altered their genetic code to fight against viruses. Mm -hmm. This has got nothing to do with modern technology. This is ancient science that we're just now coming into the knowledge of. Mm -hmm. And to that extent, what do we understand about living healthy today is based on what we are eating today. So I think what you're doing here, and this is, you know, just trying to put a, a frame around the picture, uh, is you're showing 
you're discussing the building blocks, which start with some very basic understanding of your lifestyle. And then you're applying, as if we're building a house, I'm a, I'm a real estate developer, so I, I, the metaphor of building a house. So you're, you're creating the foundation with the lifestyle, which is diet, nutri I mean, uh, exercise and diet. Sleep, sleep is very important, of course. Um, and of course, your mental, positive mental attitude, which is very hard when you're in pain to have that. So you're trying to help people with the psychology of pain and understanding how to uh, reduce that um, that part of it. So you're building the foundation of a home. Now the next level is what you just talked about, which is you know right up the alley of ageless and timeless, which is longevity and living a better life, not not so much a longer life if you can't live a quality of life. So uh, no one wants to live to 110 if they're in pain. So finding those solutions that will allow you to live that quality of life and the quantity of life, the, the age, the long, long age. So you, you might want to just take a moment and just quickly tell people what telomeres are and how they affect the body. And then if you wouldn't mind also addressing stem cells, because that's become, those two and the DNA uh, manager, those three are, I think, the kind of leading uh, edge, cutting edge of today. So what, could you take a moment and just talk about the telomeres for... Well, I'll try to simplify as much as possible. I know, it's, possible. it's really hard. I know, it's, you know, I'm asking a scientist, a medical doctor to talk to the layperson, and that's, that, you do it all the time, but I know it's, it's to be brief and to say it in lay terms is really what we need. So, you know, without going into a full discussion about DNA, and we, we've heard the words DNA, RNA, and these are just basically the genetic building blocks to make us who we are as human beings. And telomeres are um, basically part of that DNA structure. And that DNA structure of telomeres basically is responsible for our aging, mm -hmm. okay? And if you would look at a telomere, it, 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 it looks like a little cross, if you will. And at the ends of it, um, there are the, the ends of the, 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 the DNA structure uh, are what they call the telomeres. Mm -hmm. They're like if you take a, um, a shoelace, at the end of the shoelace, there's a little plastic cap that goes That's over it. That's it. That's the best way to uh, describe right? it. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like it's, it's called an eyelid, I believe. And then if that little plastic cap at the end of the shoelace begins to unravel, right. ugh, that's destruction of the telomere. Now, the telomere can also go through things that are called shortening of it, which also cause shredding of the tip of it, which ultimately leads to decline and our ability to function, basically age. And there's medication that people are, are, are sampling what they, they attributed to repairing the telomere. Like metformin? Oh, goodness, you went there. Didn't you? you just went there. <laughs> I'm just, sorry, I know, I said it's a hot subject, but yeah, we won't get into the metformin right now so, because we're not dealing with that. I and mean, we don't want to be advocates or, or, de right. or, or um, denigra denigrating yeah, something. So. But, but it, is, it is what most people are using for a telomere lengthening, correct? Yes, and, but the problem is, is that we, we don't, conclusively know that, okay? Because again, when we do these studies, uh, there's a timeline. The timeline, we say five years and whether or not it's, um, something that we study is actually medically conclusive, um, or we say it's still in the stages of discovery. We don't have enough data and information because what we may think in the early run of something to be positive, we may find out that it may be causing other problems on the back end. Mm -hmm. So we need a, a length of T-I-M-E time to give a full expression of the good side and the bad side and be able to weigh out the risk and the benefits of doing such therapies. Mm -hmm. It's too early in the game to have the discussion of one thing being something critically important to the rebuilding or the, uh, the maintenance of our telomere health. Mm -hmm. Uh, right now, I keep hammering the thing about diet and exercise, mm -hmm. that aspect of healthy living, walking back into the what? The lifestyle changes. Mm -hmm. It's not an appeal. It's not in just wishing it away. It's, it takes effort to live healthy. Mm -hmm. And most people, unfortunately, don't want to do that. But if they see and actualize the benefits of living healthy by healthy diet choices, exercise, all these things will become what positive results, and hopefully that becomes motivating. 
Stem cells is ooh, uh, a real hot topic. Again, you, you're hitting all these hot talk topics. Uh, one of the things that we did with stem cells is regeneration of cartilage for arthritic knees. Uh, that got to be a little tricky because early on there was discussion about stem cells and using um, human parts to help regenerate, if you will, or help grow back, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be as less scientific as possible uh, to this audience here, understanding that this is a very complex subject and I don't want to bury people in science because that was a way of hiding from the truth or the truth is that we don't have all the information. And there's a lot of ignorance. The more we know, the more we find out we don't know. And I don't want to confabulate the story by putting things into the, to the mix that don't belong. So, um, we're working on regeneration of cartilage for our arthritis of the knees. That seems to be promising. But again, in the early stages, there's nothing that has turned around the health of an arthritic knee. Um, conditions such as um, Parkinson's disease, um, using fetal tissue to help regrow certain areas of the brain that are responsible for people who are uh, being diagnosed with Parkinson's. Um, Parkinson's is a movement disorder that caused people to have a, this stiff movement of their body because certain chemicals in the brain are no longer being produced, which causes what? People to not move well. The same chemicals in the brain, which are dopamine, are responsible for emotional and psychological well-being and health, right? Not enough dopamine causes people to feel depressed. Too much dopamine in the system causes people to feel manic and crazy, right? So the, the, these chemicals in the brain overlap one another. So the term that they're, they, the mind and the body are, are connected as one, absolutely, because the same chemicals that cause the expression of physical pain are the same chemicals that step over the fence and cause emotional and psychological distress, mm -hmm. distress we call depression. So moderation... And everything, but well, it's diet. The, so the stem cells are pluripotent, That are the stem cells being used today. So that means that pluripotent means that they can go to wherever the need is. They kind of have a brain, you know, in a way. They just go where the need is. And, you know, in California, of course, we ha were one of the states that was uh, lucky enough to have a proposition years ago that allows research into stem cells uh, that other states during George Bush's presidency were denied. So um, so we are one of the few places where stem cell research has, has uh, just exploded. And of course, placenta and umbilical cord are usually the, the source of the stem cells if they're not uh, external to the body. But if they can use your own stem cells, right, by centrifuging your blood, because, you know, we all have stem cells, but they get, as we age, the stem cells get... Um, you know, get uh, senescent, is that the word, senescent? Senescent? Senescent. Senescent, yeah, so they, you know, they, they don't do the same job they did when you were 20. So, um, uh, but I guess, you know, from what I'm hearing and reading, that you can inject the stem cells directly to, into the spot of the, uh, the pain as well. But if you do an IV, uh, the pluripotency will allow the stem cells to go where the need is the greatest. So I, I think, you know, just my opinion, but it's just a, a lay person's opinion, that stem cells are one of the greatest uh, developments, technologically speaking. Um, Uh-oh, I forgot to... <laughs> I thought I silenced my phone, sorry. Um, anyway, so we'll talk over it, but... Um, um, so, yeah, so, so that's one subject, stem cells. Um, how do you feel about uh, PEMF, about pulsed electronic uh, to, to heal pain management, to deal with pain management? Um, well, again, we, we got to get back to the whole um, uh, table of pain expression. And what that means that pain is an individual uh, characteristic that individuals express differently. Mm -hmm. And pain has different causes. And we talk about trying to find a cause of pain. Mm -hmm. So if the pain that you're suffering from, for example, is pain from uh, cancer, right? Metastatic. Mm -hmm. when, when a cancer is found in one location and it spreads to all other areas of the body, mm -hmm. 
the last thing I want to do is apply some electricity to that. Mm, that's really important. I'm so happy that you're you're saying that. You're showing the discernment of the protocol uh, that you have to use by knowing the specifics of a situation. So the PEMF would not work if it were a, a systemic but if it were a, a pain from a, an accident or a crisis that occurred, it could be used, correct? Because basically it's bringing, I, I think one thing that, that our viewers should know is circulation as we age is one of the more challenging of, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong about this, Michael, but it just seems like that is, uh, you know, like let's say for me, I had the bike accident a year and a half ago and the circulation to my foot and ankle, which were broken, is the is the real challenge. The the um, the actual surgery was less of a problem than the healing of the area from you know having the circulation for for curing the edema that occurs when you um, when you have a, a trauma. So so in that respect, uh, what what would you say about about how to apply this in a in a more you know, specific protocol? Well, again, great question. Again, I led with the, um, the example of, like you mentioned, discernment, um, listening to where people are at, um, how do they come into this atmosphere of pain in the first place? Mm -hmm. um, but if yours was something of a, a twisted, broken ankle, and there's no what we call contraindications for you using such a device, mm -hmm then you would be a good candidate for it. Mm -hmm. Every treatment is not for everybody. Correct. And that's why we have to listen. Now, that's I've had... Do the interview and the consultation. Yes. I, I've, I've had men come to my office who've had a history of uh, prostate cancer, mm -hmm. and now they are complaining of back pain. Mm -hmm. So what do you think I'm thinking about? Mm -hmm. Our resurgence of metastatic disease from prostate cancer mm -hmm. years later. So I did, and I will order an x-ray mm -hmm. and sometimes maybe even a bone scan to see whether or not there's other areas of possible cancer spread by an increase in bone activity that comes by way of the bone scan. Mm -hmm. So I have to listen, get the history mm -hmm. so that I can find what's an appropriate use of not only diagnostic but therapeutic tools to help people actualize recovery. Well, there's one more protocol that I, I do know works, um, and I actually own one now based on the the you know, the accident that I, I um, unfortunately had, um, and that is hyperbaric. So can you talk for a moment about the value of uh, hyperbaric chambers and whether or not you ever um, recommend that to any of your patients? Hyperbaric is when you get all this nice pure oxygen and it helps the body heal wonderfully mm -hmm. if you are the right candidate for it. Mm -hmm. If I have a patient who has a rare blood disease and where their red blood count is high, I won't mention the diagnosis because, again, I promised yeah. myself I wouldn't get scientific. <laughs> That's okay. In the, in the realm of I this, think people understand <laughs> red blood cells and white blood cells. In the realm, realm of this discussion. Mm -hmm. But applying a lot of oxygen to this area here can create an environment where people can get highly sensitive, causing all sorts of problems to happen because red blood cells, which <clears throat> the way that we carry oxygen through the body, if you have too many of them and you add more oxygen to that. Mm -hmm. It's going to create it. Uh, so there's on. another example of being very precise about discernment. the... Discernment. The, the discernment, right, yes. the protocol. So all of what you're saying are, are not only great questions, but again, it gets to the initial premise of what I discussed earlier. You have to listen who you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. You have to listen to who the patient is. You have to understand with their circumstances that are surrounding them that brings them to you in the first place. So I can't say, hey, take this electrical device and hook it up to yourself, you're going to feel great. Or jump in an oxygen uh, chamber and your skin will look beautiful and you will never have any other problems. I have to find out who am I 
dealing with? Who has presented themselves but, but let, to me? But let's just assume somebody can do oxygen and get benefits. Do you believe in the hyperbaric? Yes, a- absolutely. Because again, whatever you're lacking, that science can help replace, absolutely. Again, my premise here is understanding specifically who the patient and their problems, what are they? How do we best address those? And if you are in a situation where you can benefit from the actual scientific discoveries, then I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So before I know we're going to run out of time, so I want to do a couple more uh, things that today to, to just help our viewers. So uh, you, I think you know by our discussions previously, Michael, that I'm very anti-pharmaceutical drugs. So I have a bias here that uh, I just, you know, stay away. For me, it works best to just do no, to have no pharmaceutical uh, chemicals in my body. So I looked for supplements that can do the job, uh, you know, and help to strengthen the immune system and uh, do all the work that we're talking about without the use of drugs. So could you talk for a moment about some of the supplements that you suggest to your, your patients that do help with inflammation and pain? Okay. Another great question. So <clears throat> I like to lead in by this. First of all, there, there were some recent scientific, scientific articles out, and they were debunking, if you will, or dismissing the use of vitamin supplements. Of course. Okay, number one, because that's a multi-billion-dollar-a-year industry, and it's not FDA-regulated by the Food and Drug Administration, right? So where that's why we call them supplements. Right, and there are some charlatans, and there there's a lot of... Like in any situation in life, you have to be discerning and you have to do your research. That's why in the beginning of this podcast, I mentioned Quicksilver Scientific and Water and Wellness. Not to give them another plug, but I do want to say that these are two um, companies that are run by people who are science-based. And I think that... um, uh, you know, the, this this is where I would tell people to look first and, and, you know, and use the ageless code, by the way. I forgot to mention that early on, that if you want to order their products, but 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 do a little research and see what they do, what their products offer for you. But those are areas, those are two companies that I can vouch for that have science-based supplements. So anyway, go on, Michael. I'm sorry, I segued on you, but. No, well, again, to, to get back to your initial question is that depending on the source of their uh, condition, usually uh, people who have frail bones, we uh, we understand that in order to build healthy bones, you need vitamin D. Yeah, D D three. Yes, and uh, and the so whatever you, you're lacking, again, we we find the appropriate source or supplement mm-hmm. to supplement what you do not have or lack thereof. We have to find out what is it that you're lacking based on your condition and then provide it to you in the appropriate so amount. You do, so you do blood tests, right? You do blood tests because you have to find out what you're looking at. I mean, uh, oftentimes we have patients who have low, in this case, low, low uh, red blood cells. And when you have low red blood cells, then you have less oxygen to carry uh, blood to the organs and you get tired and fatigue. Right. If you, what we call, are anemic with low blood cells, we have to find a way to replenish that, not just by blood transfusion, but by giving iron supplements. And a well-known fact that when you take in iron, number one, by mouth, it's not absorbed. It's not absorbed, yep. It's so like, you, you need to take vitamin C with it in order to absorb it. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, and also with D3, you should always take K2. Um, They're like a one-two punch. And um, I believe me, I've done a lot of research on that because uh, taking D3 by itself uh, does diminish your K2 unless you supplement with that. So they are a combination uh, that you should, if you're taking, if you're looking at using D3, which most people need. So they say 70% of the population is deficient in D3. And that is the you know backbone of your immune system and, of course, your bones and uh, structure. So, Michael, you know what? I'm so sorry, but we, are, we have run out of time. I knew this would happen 
because we're you know able to talk forever. <laughs> we found that out in the few times we've spent together uh, off off this podcast. So, uh, but I did want to say uh, I know you've offered very generously offered our viewers if they use the ageless code and they call your office um, and speak with your beautiful wife, Rochelle, um, that um, the um, uh, the first consultation after they fill out a questionnaire and to determine if they could be a, your patient, because you do not, you're not really accepting uh, that many uh, workers' comp patients anymore, but you will look at um, uh, reg regular patients like lay people like you and like me. Um, it, but they must fill out a questionnaire because you you won't you, there again is discernment you will not take on a patient unless you think you can help. So um, I know your offer was to give that first consultation using the ageless code or mentioning my name Michelle Hughes. Um, that that first consultation could would be complimentary and I think that is just such a generous offer and I want our viewers to know that. So could you just uh, tell our viewers your phone number or how to reach the best way to reach you? Well, uh, a number is um, area code 510-465-3668. Again, that's area code 510-465-3668. Perfect. All right. Well, um, with that, we need to um, close today's podcast with a very grateful Farewell to Michael, Dr. Michael, because he has been so informative and so helpful to us, uh, all of us who are looking for answers. And uh, I would say that um, it is important to uh, be proactive. Uh, don't live in pain. I have a girlfriend in, in, in uh, Southern California and Las Vegas, and she's been in pain for years, had a couple of operations, and just still continues to f have pain. And honestly, I've made it one of my priorities to find answers for her. Um, it's lower back pain, and, and it's just affected her quality of life. And I, as, as a friend, you know, I'm determined that I'm going to help her, if I can, uh, with solutions. And um, so it's, it's, it's situations like that, that um, if you are in pain in any way, um, find, take it upon yourself to look for solutions. And if, if, if uh, Dr. Michael can be one of those people that could help you, all, you know, all the better. That's why he's on my podcast, to just expose you to uh, someone who I believe has a lot of experience and valuable knowledge for all of us. So with that, I will say goodbye and wish everyone a beautiful day. And uh, this is Michelle Hughes signing off for Ageless and Timeless. Have a beautiful day. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.